Fourth, uh, we dip into Proverbs 4 for just a quick proverb, verses 10 to 13. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go and guard it, for it is your life. Don't you just love Proverbs? They're full of just little mini sermons. Just read one at a time, and it's, uh, it'll fill you up full of life. Do you know, did you know that Mother Teresa's feet were deformed? Um, I read a story about a, a guy who, uh, or a gal, who had spent one summer with uh, Mother Teresa helping serve people in the slums of Calcutta. And she had noticed Mother Teresa's feet were deformed and um, nobody was talking about it. And, and she thought maybe she had leprosy or something that had caused this deformation. She didn't know what it was. And one day, one of the other sisters, one of the other nuns explained, she said, you know, people notice that, but here's the deal. We get this um, about once a year, somebody just brings in and donates shoes to us. And we get just enough shoes to meet all the needs. And Mother Teresa gets in there at the very beginning, and she digs through, and she finds the worst pair that will fit nobody else, and she takes those for herself first. So she wears these shoes that don't fit her, and over the years, that's caused her to have deformed feet. We're going to come back to that story a little bit later. Um, You know, I did did another little kind of study and asked some questions about what do people compare things to? What do you compare in your life? And I got this list of what, where people make comparisons in life. Uh, so I'm going to just go over that with you for a minute. For, for the first thing that people compare are their possessions. You know, like you compare cars, you look at your car, you look at the car next to you. Or if you go out and you buy a brand new car, you're liking your brand new car and you pull up the stop sign and after enough, if you wait a little bit of time, pretty soon another one will pull up next to you. It's the exact same model, but it's next year's model. So you start looking at that, and you go like, okay, what's, it's really not that much better. I, so I got everything that one has. Oh, they had to make some stuff, take some stuff off. I'm so glad I got my car when I did. Or um, if you're a, uh, an Apple fanboy, which this room looks like full of Apple fanboys. Do you know what Apple fanboys are? Okay, so this example is not going to go anywhere. But I'm giving, I'm giving it anyway because I'm not an Apple fanboy, but I look like one sometimes. My daughter's laughing at me in the back. So, like, if you buy the iPhone, okay, this comes out with the iPhone, and then there's an iPhone 3GS, and, oh, i got to get the new thing because it's got this new feature that the last one didn't have, and then a 4 comes out, and then a 4S comes out, and now the rumors are out for... I mean, always comparing. The truth is that the 3 still makes a phone call. You can still call home. You can still call and order a pizza, and it'll be at the window when you drive up. It'll still be there. Or maybe um, you compare your other possessions. You look at your house, you look at your neighbor's house, and you think, man, I wish I had that. And, or you're, you, know, you, you go visit somebody, and they got a really cool kitchen. And, you know, or here's the deal. If you go on one of those tours of model homes, you're in real trouble. Because those things have everything you don't have. Okay, so one of the areas that we, 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 we compare is our possessions or our appearance. Ladies, um, your hair. You look at your hair and you think about that lady on the TV and she does this. And her hair, I just cut my hair so it won't do it. Last week it wouldn't have done it. But her hair does this shiny thing and everyone lines up and it's like, come on, run through me with your bare feet, your hair, right? But does your hair do that? No, you don't. You know, so you compare your hair. Um, you know, it's soft and fluffy. Or guys, not so much the hair. You know, our comparison is: Do we have hair? 
Okay. Okay, I owe you like two or three. Okay. So um, our comparison, we do something different. Like we go to the gym and we compare or, um, you know, we compare appearance as well. Or, or how about this performance? You work in a sales-oriented job and you think, I'm doing pretty good, but I'm not keeping up with this guy or I want to do a little better. Or maybe you're a mom and you, you compare your performance with other moms, and you see some other woman, and she got both her earrings on, and her kids all have clean faces, and you're thinking, how does she do that? How come I'm not that good a mom? I mean, okay, so performance. Another area is our circumstances. You haven't been able to try to get, you know, you've been trying, but you haven't been able to get pregnant. But these other people, they're all getting pregnant, and they're all having twins. Come on, Lord, I serve you. I want kids. What's the deal? We do that kind of comparison, or... Sometimes a harder kind where we say, why did this happen to my child? Why? Why? I just, you know, or, or when will I get married? I'm always the bridesmaid. I think that all the time. <laughs> Never a bride. Or some situation in your life where you look at that and you say, I just don't get it. Why? I look around. I love the Lord as much as these other guys. And I seem to always somehow... Come up somewhere short of that. Here's another one. I didn't realize this in this one when I was younger, but we compare our past. If you're young, you compare your past like this. You say, hey, I was a kid. I'm grown up now. Come on, give me my due respect. That's the comparison we make. Don't treat me like before. Or when you get to be a little bit older, you start saying, you know, I don't know what the deal is, but when I was 29, I could eat like four pizzas and three bags of potato chips and lose weight doing it. Now I think about it, and i got to go on a thought diet before I can go on a food diet, because <laughs> comparisons permeate every area of our life. It's just everywhere. And I'm going to use a strong word here, but I've asked this question. Why does God hate it when we compare? And I've come up with three reasons. There's probably a lot more, but for the sake of not keeping here all day, we'll just do three just for the fun of it. One, comparison brings the death of contentment. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, we do not dare, strong word, like, it's not like truth or dare. This is like, don't you dare, okay? Don't you dare. Why the strong language? Because comparison kills our joy. It robs meaning. It can destroy our marriages. It, it, it's strong language, but that's intentional. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. In other words, they're stupid, right? Why was that declaration so strong? Because the author understands something, and here's, here's what he understood. Success in life is not a matter of being superior or inferior to anybody else. It's about being who God wants you to be not who you wish you were. When we start to compare, we start constructing this mirage. It looks like something that's out in the distance. It's not real. It's kind of shimmering. You know, I really like her personality. She's so witty and she's so fun. She's great to be with. I wish I was like her. Or her hair is cool. Or, you know, his wife really treats him like a king. Or, wow, there's, those kids really obey their parents. It's amazing, or their house, or their car, or whatever. And all of those little impacts start to build this mirage 
that you fix yourself upon off in the distance somewhere. The problem with mirages is you get closer and closer, but they don't get closer to you. There's something weird that goes on. And those mirages turn into wishes. And those wishes won't bring you satisfaction because they're not about becoming who God wants you to be. They just never quite quite get you there. Ladies, you know, you face this probably worse than men do, I think. I mean, I don't mean to be stereotypical here, but just the number of trips you make through the checkout counter at the grocery store. I mean, I, mean, I kind of look at the magazines and so forth in the last few moments before payoff as it's kind of like entertainment, you know. Woman gives birth to her own grandmother, right? Okay, that's the stuff I see, <laughs> right? I see that kind of stuff, and I just chuckle. I think, you know, people get paid money to make this stuff up. I could be rich doing that, <laughs> comparing, of course. Um, but then you see these, these pictures of these magazines, and there's these beautiful women on them. They're beautiful. Supermodels, A-list actresses. There, somebody somewhere has decided that this is your model, and so their face is on the cover of the magazine, and you can't pay for your groceries without looking at a bunch of them. But here's the deal. You know those pictures are all touched up? Do you know they're all airbrushed? The most perfect women they can find for you to compare against don't measure up. They don't measure up. What do you think about, I mean, I think, I think these, these um, I don't want to name names, but I mean, some of these supermodels and these people that appear on these magazines, when they realize they don't, they don't measure up, yet they're models. I mean, there's got to be some weird dynamic going on there. You face this impossible thing to get through the checkout counter of comparison. It's not fair. It's not right. It's, it's not life. It's not good. And the Lord doesn't want it. And I think about these poor gals that are on the covers. Their entire existence revolves around their present degree of whatever perfection is. And they still don't measure up. So out comes the airbrush. So why does God hate comparison? First one is it brings the death of contentment. Second one is that it makes us prideful. There's this story in the book of Luke, and I'm just going to kind of touch on it for a second, where there's a Pharisee, and um, he's a Pharisee, so he's kind of this religious leader, maybe even a pastor type of person, and uh, he's trying to set standards for other people to follow. And get this, get, get, get what he says, Luke 18, 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. <laughs> wow. Stand back because the radius of a lightning bolt gets big. Um, <laughs> I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Wow. I don't know what was going on in heaven in those moments, but it's like static something. I don't know. I just think... You know, how much more pompous could this guy be? The problem is that you and I do that all the time. <laughs> you, we do. We do. You know, like, okay, so you're at Walmart. You're in the toy section. And right on the other side, on the next aisle down, you can hear the mother of all wars going on. 
So you stick, you hear this commotion and this screaming and this shouting and all this going on, and you're thinking, what is that? Your curiosity has the better part of you. So you step and you look around, and here's a three-and-a-half-year-old half-child, half, half Mount St. Helens blowing ash sideways at 400 miles an hour. I want it. i got to have it. I want it. I want it. And the mother going, whatever a mother's doing in those moments, trying to figure this out. Trees are snapping off. The molten ash is blowing sideways. Everything's getting scalded. I want it. I want it. And you think... What is wrong with that family? I would never let my child act like that. I would never let my child be disrespectful like that. And <laughs> if you're thinking that now, it's because I've made this great case for that being really bad. But the truth is, if you think that, you've never had a three-and-a-half-year-old child before. <laughs> because they're not born mature. They're not born shaped yet. That's why the Lord entrusted them to you. Part of your role is to shape that out of them, to love that out of them, not to judge that out of them or the woman that's there. But you compare, we just, we just do that. I've done that before. I'm thinking, you know what? That's a case where you want to pick the kid up by the neck, just like a dog. You know, you grab him with your mouth, you carry him over, you set him off to the side, and you say, you know, no, you know I mean, not literally, okay? So you, you can relax. I never picked my kids up by the neck. <laughs> But we walk away and we say, I would never, never let my kids do that. Or here's another one. Christians do this more than they would admit. We see a person smoking a cigarette and we say, oh, look at that. Don't they know that's not good for their health? They, we think that. And then we say, you know, don't they know that the, their body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And they're thinking these things and then they say, oh, hold on a second, thoughts. I got to do something. Roll down the window. Yeah. I'd like a double cheeseburger with fries. And would you supersize the fries, please? And I'll take a glass of oil to go with that. <laughs> Look, I should talk. Because I never do that. My deal is always, I like two double cheeseburgers because that's a dollar menu thing. Okay, so. <laughs> we say, Look at that person a second. But, you know, and, and we make these comparisons, and it's a form of legalism, and it's absurd. Legalism always leads to absurdity. And we do it all the time. And comparison makes us prideful. C.S. Lewis, um, I'll give you a quote from C.S. Lewis, which helps out here. He says, we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer, cleverer, or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. Okay, so why does God hate comparison? We've said it brings a death of contentment. It makes us prideful. The next one is comparison makes us resentful. Here's a story from 1 Samuel. I love going into the Old Testament because the examples become so black and white. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine. Okay, so Philistines are the bad guys here. David's the good guy. This is the same David who, uh, you know, he killed Goliath. Here's this. He's basically a boy. And he faces down Goliath with a sling. He didn't have, he wasn't packing. I mean, he had a sling, he had faith, and he, had, he was just, he was certain he was going to do this. And um, he trusted God so much. And he served King Saul. In fact, this is the same David that when King Saul would, would be vexed with a tormenting spirit, David would play music for him and the tormenting spirit would leave. David served Saul faithfully. Time after time after time. This is the David we're talking about. 
So they were returning home after David had killed the Philistine. And the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with tambourines and lutes. Okay, so here we go. You get the picture here? This is a pretty big deal. Um, today's translation, guys, you know, you just won the Super Bowl or whatever it is, some major deal, and now we're giving you a ticker tape parade, and all of the best cheerleaders are now on the fronts, and they're going to sing, and they're going to dance, and in the background, the song, you know, Queen, you are the champ, we are the champion, is playing, fireworks are going off. You got the picture here? Okay, pretty big deal. And the cheerleaders are out here, and they're about to cheer, and here they go. And they say this. And as they dance, they sing, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And Saul was angry. This refrain galled him. <laughs> Word galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but, but me with only thousands. What, what more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. It makes us, he, he became so resentful. I mean, look at the circumstances. This guy's got this huge parade. It doesn't say they came out to meet David. They came out to meet King Saul. And he's completely down this other trail. When we compare, here's what happens. We resent God's goodness in other people's lives and ignore God's blessing in our own life. That's exactly what was going on here with Saul. It didn't matter that David had been loyal. He'd been all loving. He had served him. He'd, you know, just, it, all Saul knew was the count. David got credit for tens of thousands. He, got credit, he only got credit for thousands. And that just wasn't enough. And he only became resentful about the good things that were going on in David's life. And he ignored the good things that were going on in his. What, what blessings were going on in his? Come on, he's king. He can go where he wants to go, do what he wants to do. He's getting a tip, ticker tape parades. And if he wants to have that double cheeseburger with bacon and supersized fries, it's there for him. He's the king. And he doesn't have his focus on any of that stuff. He ignored it. And he let this, excuse the metaphor here, but he let this cancer of comparison begin to kill him by his own choice. We resent God's goodness in others' lives and ignore God's blessing in our own life. So comparison is this problem in our, in our lives. It's a problem area, and we've got to overcome it. We do. We do. So how do we stop complaining to get practical here? Because if we can figure out how to do this and internalize these concepts, a couple of concepts here, it'll change our lives, and we'll quit com- comparing. One is you have to know what you had. Paul... Um, Paul was writing a letter to the Philippians, and he, at the time that he wrote this letter, was, he was under house arrest, so all of his freedoms were gone. He couldn't go and do and couldn't order and do what he wanted to do. He was restricted, had to stay at home, and uh, he wrote these words, Philippians 4. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. Read that with me out loud. I have learned to be content. Oh, that's good. Um, whatever the circumstances... This learned to be content isn't something that just all of a sudden happened. It was a process, something he had to learn. Through a process, he learned a secret about how to be content. How does that work in day-to-day living? I think, you know, the way that it works is that you and I have a spiritual enemy, and he loves to float these suggestions for you to think about. Just loves to put them in your heart. You deserve better. 
You should have that. It's, you deserve it. You should have that too. What Scripture tells us that we're supposed to do, and I'm not going to go down this in an extended rabbit trail, but what Scripture tells us to do is we're supposed to take those thoughts, make them obedient to Jesus. The Word tells us that we're supposed to take those things. And how do you do that? The only way you can take those kinds of concepts captive and make them obedient to Jesus is if you know the Word of God. That's why you hear people like me say, spend time in this. You know, I always start our messages here with a proverb because it's a great habit. And it doesn't take a lot of your time. And that's a good place to start if you're not a regular student. But get into the Word of God. It's just, that's the only way you can know that. Okay, so back to Philippians, uh, down to verse uh, 12. Now, this is a learned process. He just said, I learned. Learned to be content. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I am... I don't think I've told you the story about um, when I was visited by a former boss. This goes back a couple of decades. I worked at this huge corporation, and and um, I'll make a few comments that I'm not going to explain because I could take all day on this story. But there came a point where I felt like I was supposed to um, just resign this position, and I was in a very good position. I made good money, good future. Everything was was very good there, and I felt like I was supposed to leave. And... Uh, um, this large corporation, um, so I left. I resigned and, and left. And there's a lot to that process. Don't make doctrine out of that. Don't do that because you heard it here until you hear the rest and you hear the Lord. So, so I'm just, those are all, that's all the fine print on that commentary, okay? So the point is that I leave. And um, after I'd been gone for a few months, I get this phone call from my former boss. She wants to have lunch with me. I'm thinking, okay, good to reconnect. And uh, um, we sit down and have lunch, and partway through the lunch, she shoves this envelope across the, <laughs> the, the table at lunchtime. And I said, what's that? She said, well, it's a bonus check. And um, I said, well, what for? Why are you giving me a bonus? I don't work there anymore. Well, you did a good job the last year you were here. And it was a, it was, it was a bonus check, right? But it was, there was... Seemed like there were some strings attached, right? I said, I'm not coming back. Oh, no, this is yours. You don't need to do anything. I said, no strings attached. She said, yep. I said, give it to me. I stuck it in my pocket, right? <laughs> no strings attached. It's mine now. Thank you very much. Um, and it was common, um, this, this large corporation, if you had good performance, the management people got significant bonuses from having good performance. And it wasn't unusual for me to get a bonus. This is 26, 27 years ago. But before that, it wasn't unusual for me to get bonuses then of five or $10,000. You know, they'd just say, hey, good job. Here's a check. Wow, thanks. <laughs> you know, thank you, Lord. <laughs> um, and um, that was, you know, that's a lot of money then. It's a lot of money now. So... Um, and I got those kinds of, the Lord blessed, and, and uh, this is not about me, but I want you to know that there was success in my work groups. There was r- reputation, and, and we did good, we, we, we did well, we performed well, and, and many times we were the top performing group in the nation, and there were groups like mine across the nation. So I got bonuses, and I got blessings. They, they pampered me pretty good. And 
So here she is. She hands me this check. And uh, she kind of starts now. She starts talking about, hey, you know, why don't you come back to work? Now, I had left my position. I knew the Lord had a call in my life, and I knew where I was going, but I didn't have a spot to land. So you follow that? Um, and uh, so she was asking me to come back, and I said, no, I can't do that. I'm, I'm, I can't do that. And she started asking me questions. I had just taken a ministry position and um, was entry level, and, and she started, you know, grilling me. What are you doing there? And I would describe it. Well, are you the senior pastor there? No. I mean, she started asking these questions to cause me to compare my circumstances. She was trying to, to create this, this daylight, and the way to do that was to create some contrast. You follow me? So she was creating this, these questions. There was lots of comparisons. And I started thinking in my mind, it's sad what she's doing here because it's too bad that she feels like she's got to be this way, you know, to create this negative thing in order to attract me back because that's not the kind of thing that would make me want to come back to work there. And sitting in my hand was a check. I think it was like $5,000, something like that. And, and um, um, I thought to myself, the other thing is that, I, you know, I actually know what I have. I know what I'm called to do, and I really don't need all that, and I don't need this check. And if that's the reason you're here, I'll give you the check back. She said, no, no, that, that's yours to keep. I said, fine, I'm keeping it. And, and, and as I was thinking about this story with you and, and sharing the story with you today, I was thinking about, you know, let's do some comparison, maybe a more positive one. What, what would I have missed out on had I been enticed backwards there? Well, I could have become a corporate ladder climber. I could have missed out. I, would, I did miss out on a lot of money, obviously. They were throwing it around like crazy. I missed out on all kinds of opportunities. By now, probably I'd be retired and I'd have three or four houses and a Porsche in every garage. Sounds pretty good. Problem is, there's no joy there. There's not, those are not my life's goals. They're not what makes me happy. And the other things that I would have missed out on, I would have missed out on par- just participating and being in some small way, the miraculous things that go on in ministry, where you see the, 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 the power of God penetrate into a circumstance where there's no hope and see a man changed or a woman changed, and a life get transformed, and their family become healthy and whole, and what happens? I mean, the things that, that I've seen happen in my years of ministry are just priceless to me. And that's, that's the ministry answer, the personal answer. The things that have shaped in this, this man because I decided to pursue what the Lord said to me, the changing that he did in Terry the son, Terry the, the husband, Terry the father, I, I really believe was required that I was going down the pathway that the Lord has kept me on. But here's another interesting comparison that I thought about this morning as I was kind of just going through this again this morning. Here's one added part. This, um, this bonus that I got was based on performance, and this group of people, you know, with that kind of money, people will push hard for performance. If you are a top-level performer, you might get a handed occasional check of $10,000 or fifteen or 20000 So you have incentive to make sure you produce. Well, I heard this story uh, probably about two or three years after this. I, just, I didn't keep contact with a lot of the people I worked with. But then I heard something, so I made a phone call, and I found out that this gal who had been my boss got fired. And the staff of management people who had worked at my level, most of them had all been suspended. What happened? Well, performance suffered, 
and they started becoming a little fast and loose with their reporting. They lied. Their integrity was missing. They wanted that bonus check so bad that a bunch of them caught real grief. Now, when I look back and I have that comparison too, you see the contrast here. Comparison at the moment can look so enticing, but it's just so not healthy for us. And if I would have been enticed at the time because of the comparison that was going on, it for me would have been the death of contentment. Missed a lot. That it's good that I missed. And I would have missed the things that I really didn't want to miss if I would let that happen to me. Maybe, um, you know, you ask the question, what does it do for me? How, do, how, how does this relate to me? If you can get on top of this issue, maybe you'll stop trying to go after that thing that you're comparing that you don't have yet. And when you make those kinds of adjustments in your priorities, you'll find that you'll have the time for the things that you really care about. Maybe then you won't miss out on things like that ball game or that recital or that anniversary. Success in life is not a matter of being superior or inferior to someone else. It's about being who God wants you to be, not who you wish you were. Um, the other thing, how, how to kill comparison, we have know what you have, and then the second, second one is know who you are. That is a topic that could be its own sermon series, so I've got to be careful here um, and just touch this topic. Ephesians 2 says this, For we are God's workmanship. Let's read that out loud together. For we are God's workmanship. One more time. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's workmanship. You are. That means at some point in time, if we understand the concept of time properly, at some point in time, you were born in the thoughts of the Creator. Our Creator was looking out and He said, Henry or Charles. And He named you by name and He thought, wow, this is going to be good. I'm going to build something really special here. And he started thinking through about the things in your life that he wants you to see, that he wants you to do, that he wants you to experience. He thought about the bumps you will face. He thought about the ways he's going to pick you up when you've scraped your knees and hold on to you and carry you through those. He thought about those things. He also thought about some times and places and people that he plans for you to make a difference in their life. He's thought about those things. He's thought about the, the things he's built into you, the way he fabricated and wired you. He's thought about those things because in some place, at some time, you are his chosen way to make a difference in somebody's specific life. He's thought this through. All of this was born in his, his mind before he started crafting you in your mother's womb. You need to know who you are because if you know who you are, then you know who you don't have to be. 
we went to Disneyland. Joseph was little. I, Doug, I couldn't find the picture of this, but I've got this picture of Joseph with this regal robe. Little guy. Joseph's a big boy now. You know, those of you who know Joseph. So Joseph is this little guy. He's got this regal robe with this fur and all the spots on it. It's red, and they've got a crown on him. And we were just walking through the park, and it was one of those, they were having this ceremony. I don't know if he pulled the sword out of the stone, or he did, huh? Yeah, he should have been, I don't know, he should have been king. He pulls the sword out. The other kids tried, and they couldn't get it out, but he pulls it out. So somebody somewhere watches and pushes the release button, you know. But So they decided he was now mayor of Disneyland for the day. <laughs> so we had to make our way back to the entrance, you know, by the fire station and have the picture taken and all of that. Joseph was mayor, Lord Mayor of Disneyland. And then I've got, you know, kids, and I've got one daughter, and so I indulge myself and call her princess all the time. So I've got a Lord Mayor and a princess. But do you really think that my kids really believe he's the Lord Mayor and she's really a princess? I mean, I mean, do you really think they really believe that? <laughs> I don't know what they think, but here's something that just I know is true in this father's heart. To, to really be a princess, you have to be the daughter of a king. And I'm not a king, but my kids have a heavenly father who is a king. And not only is he a king, he's the king and the Lord of Lords. And in his view, my children are royal kids. They're destined, qualified to rule their royalty. And so are you. Every one of you. Every one of us who calls God Father your royalty. And I don't tell you this to pump you up. I tell you it because it's a fact. And because of that, you don't need to fall into Saul's trap. You don't need to be comparing. Because what you have, by right of succession, by right of inheritance, is way more than you need. When you know who you are, your perspective will change. And with God's help, this will settle within your soul. If you struggle with who you are because of experience in the past, I want to pray for you in just a minute or two. And maybe the Lord needs to um, deliver or subtract or mend and heal something. Maybe. And maybe there's just some intellectual Chinese finger puzzle. You know that puzzle you put your finger in? If you pull hard, it won't come apart. But if you pull gently, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe there's something in your intellectual way of thinking that you struggle against it, and because you struggle, it pulls tighter and you can't let go. But maybe if you would just relax and let the king slip it off of your mind, you'll find something different, and you'll quit comparison. Remember Mother Teresa? We're about to pray and, 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 and dismiss, but that story about Mother Teresa, you could say it was because she was really generous, and she just wanted to go to the back of the line and be the last person served. And that's true about her. Tremendous, wonderful woman, great godly leader, cared for people. She really put it on the line for people because she loved people. 
And you can say that she did that and it cost her deformed feet because she just wanted to be the last one served. And I can't prove this, but I think she saw something way more profound than that. I think she realized that the comparisons going on within a heart, they don't deform your feet. The comparisons actually deform the heart. And she wanted to save the people from that. That's why she took the worst shoes. Every person who would fall into that trap of comparing shoes knew their shoes were better than hers. And she loved them that much. A deformed heart is way worse than a deformed foot. Let's pray. God, um, I just rely heavily today on your power, the power of your word, that can break the bondage of comparing. It can just break it. So, Lord, it's, it's, uh, it just permeates us. It's so hard because our eyes wander and we look and we see and we have a selfish streak in us, some of us more than others, but we all have it, God. And so we compare and we know you hate it because it just does negative things in us. Lord, I just ask for the power of your love, the power of your sustaining spirit, your choice, your choice says, Lord, of love for us. I just thank you for that, and I ask you just to release those upon your kids today. Keep your eyes closed, church. If you're in your heart, would just respond to this word, and you're thinking, yeah, I want God's power to help me. I want to stop doing this comparing because I know where it takes me and it's not healthy. If that's going on, you don't need to raise your hand. But this would be the moment where privately, quietly, and supernaturally, you just respond to the king and say, God, yeah, okay, there's some stuff here in my heart that I just want to just lay it up for you. Help. Help. Lord, we pray that for willing hearts that you would break that power of, of comparison and that as a people, we would learn to be content. And Lord, I want to go off that subject and pray about something that just I was just thinking about in the last few minutes. In the last week, God, um, people in this room have talked with me about cancer diagnosis, lost job, kid children issues with children, marriage, challenges in a marriage. God, there just have been a lot of really significant things mentioned to me from people who said, hey, pray about this. And God, I'm thinking about the ones that are, that are not spoken, and I'm thinking about also people here today who just might be completely alone in their soul, loneliness. I pray, God, over these issues and ask for the miraculous today. We had a schedule today, Lord, of worshiping and communion and the message and all of these things we do. But Lord, our prayer before service was that majesty would penetrate lives, that majesty would overcome need, that majesty would bring in hope, that majesty would bring miraculous healing, restoration, encouragement. God, we just invite majesty today. I want to thank you, Lord, that you, when you... When you first thought about every one of us, you were thinking about our future and our hope. Scripture promises us that in Jeremiah. I want to thank you. Now let that, Lord, be our way of thinking too. God, 
as you would put upon our hearts now the names of people we ought to be praying for and maybe even encouraging, enable us to do that. I just, just ask for that too. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just stand and let's just seal this with I'm going to worship you forever. I'm going to worship.